Chapter Twenty of Thou Art the Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thou Art the Man by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Twenty. The Carpews have a border. That village with the old Norman church and the bleak, wind-blown churchyard where the graves were sometimes washed by the salt white spray from a stormy sea consisted only of about a half a dozen stone cottages and the congregation which sparsely occupied the old oaken pews on a sunday morning and afternoon was mostly made up of smock-frock farmers from the neighbourhood or an occasional pitman's family which had come over the hill to afternoon service for the sake of the walk poor as the parish was and few the dwellings it contained there were a vicarage and a vicar the vicarage a low rambling house with stone walls and slated roof over which lichens and stone crop had spread a friendly covering the vicar an elderly careworn man whose shoulders seemed to have bent under the burden of a large family this gentleman with his wife and children were the only people with any pretence to gentility within a longish walk from the norman church and although mrs carpew the vicar's wife had grown worn and wan with domestic cares and rarely enjoyed ten minutes leisure between breakfast and bedtime she had not yet left off lamenting the want of society in the neighbourhood what leisure or entertainment she could have given to society or what gowns she could have worn in society had society been there was a problem which she had never tried to solve she went on lamenting the barrenness of the neighbourhood with a certain ladylike forlornness which secured her the sympathy of friendly farmers wives with whom she occasionally condescended to partake of a substantial north country tea if this poor lady could afford herself one reputable gown and one smart bonnet in which to appear at such homely tea-drinkings she thought herself happy for there were three growing girls to be clad and shod and there was an eldest son at durham and a second son at marlborough and two small boys running wild at home the vicar was supposed to teach so that in the long vacation very long seemed that vacation to the house mother there were seven hungry mouths round the vicarage table to say nothing of the father and mother who almost lost all appetite and horror at the amount of food these seven hungry maws consumed a little more beef please ma a little more pudding please ma what a chorus it was mrs carpew had much need to comfort herself with the vulgar aphorism that it is better to pay butcher and baker than doctor and chemist but that consolatory reflection did not tend to make the bills lower if it wasn't for their border the carpews would never be able to make both ends meet said the farmer's wives who knew how poor a living this parish of st jude's provided for its pastor there was a boarder at the vicarage a mysterious gentleman boarder whose face but few of the neighbours had ever beheld but whose existence in the house was not made an absolute secret 
although it was talked about as little as possible it is beneath your father's position as vicar for us to have a boarder so the less you say about him the better dears mrs carpew told her brood he is a poor afflicted creature and it is a charity to take care of him the young carpews were so far of the world worldly as to be able to act upon this maternal counsel the words border and afflicted were equally hateful to them and never passed their lips affliction in that sense meant to their young minds something revolting and horrible to look upon and they would have walked miles to avoid meeting the boarder who lived under the same roof with them all that these younger members of the family knew of the unseen occupant was that he lived in a portion of the house that had been added by a former vicar a man of sporting tastes and of larger means than the present incumbent a squire's son from the lake district whose father owned a good deal of property near keswick and who could afford to indulge himself with a kennel of shooting dogs a well-filled gun-room and as many jovial bachelor friends as he cared to entertain in the shooting season altogether a very different type of man from ebenezer carpew who had struggled out of the dismal swamp of nonconformity into the loftier atmosphere of the church of england via durham and who had never recovered from the effects of the struggle the wing added to the vicarage early in the century by the bachelor parson consisted of four good-sized rooms affording ample accommodation for an afflicted gentleman even if he were as the neighbors insisted a sprig of nobility four rooms locked off from the rest of the house were reserved for the unknown and it was the popular idea that the unknown was not right in his mind and had been confided to mr carpew's care by his relatives not right but not so wrong as to render his residence in the in mr carpew's house illegal st jude's vicarage was so remote from civilization such a lonely and isolated nook along that bleak cumbrian coast that questions which might have been asked in any other neighborhood were not asked here the village of st jude was less than a mile from allen bay and while prosecuting her inquiries among the little group of fishermen's cottages clustered on one side of the bay lady penrith heard of the mysterious inmate of st jude's vicarage but beyond the mere fact of his existence her informant could tell her nothing nobody ever sees him said a fisherman's wife who was aunt to the servant girl at the vicarage mr and mrs carpew wait on him themselves the girl told me take him his food and clean up his room and look after him they're too poor to keep a servant on purpose and the girl it was my own niece mary martin she was over two years at the vicarage and never see him all that time said mrs carpew told her that she was to hold her tongue and say nothing about him to nobody and she didn't except to me and two or three others as she'd known from a baby what kind of man is mr carpew lady penrith asked thoughtfully 
well your ladyship he's what i would call a poor creature there's no grit in him he's regular broke down with trouble and care all those hungry boys and girls to feed always in debt to the butcher or baker they say the livin ain't worth more than a hundred and seventy pounds a year all told and there's nine in their family the youngsters all growing up hearty and a servant girl makes ten poor mrs carpew works her fingers to the bone sewing and helping with the housework if ever there was a white slave she's one poor lady but i think she's got more spirit than the vicar and bears up better just nobody help them the farmers wives they helps a bit with a couple of chickens now and then or a pound or two of butter and a score of eggs but it don't go far there's no gentry near enough to take any interest in they're not like regular poor folks you see my lady they can't ask for help or else i dare say they would have asked up the castle for it was the old lord who gave mr carpew the living such as it is his lordship's father that must have been a long time ago yes my lady it must be nigh upon five-and-twenty years mr carpew was tutor at the castle before lord ardliston and his brother went to college ah he used to have fine times then poor gentleman his back was straight enough in these days and he was quite smart in his dress and held himself ever so high life was almost a pleasure for him then he used to racket about at all the race meetings in the neighbourhood with the young lord and his brother he's not as old a man as you'd think looking at him now and i don't believe he's more than six or seven years older than lord penrith and they were good friends no doubt he and his pupils ah yes they was very good friends him and mr urquhart in particular his lordship was always high my lady even when he was lord ardliston but mr urquhart he allus made more free with folks and he and mr carpew was a good deal about together they say the vicar was a great scholar in those days he'd been helped on at college because of his talents and people said the earl was lucky to find a man in the neighbourhood ready to his hand mr carpew's father was a dissenting minister at workington a small tradesman that had taken to preaching in a little chapter chapel up a back lane so you may suppose it wasn't no easy matter for him to send his son to durham college how long has the person your niece spoke about been at the vicarage asked lady penrith after a thoughtful silence ah that's more than i can say my lady i don't suppose any one knows when he came here or that any one see him come but he's been there a long while twenty years i can't say my lady it's four years or more since mary told me about him and she was at the vicarage going on for three years and he was there all the time though she never laid eyes on him and that's all i know do you think there is any one here or at st jude's who knows more about him no i don't my lady for we've talked it over among ourselves here and up at st jude's and if there'd been anything 
more to hear i should have heard it they've kept it all very close the carpews have but we all know that if the vicar didn't get a little money behind his wage as parson him and hisn must have been famished when coralie saw the pony carriage disappear over the crest of the hill lady penrith was on her way to st jude's to make a formal call at the vicarage that seemed the simplest manner of approaching the carpew mystery in the first place and she put a strain upon herself to suppress all signs of agitation and to appear with the manner of a person interested only in the case of possible distress the mysterious message delivered to her on the moor was a sufficient excuse for pushing her inquiries to the furthest limits and as the wife of the patron of the living she was at least entitled to respect from the vicar and his family indeed her conscience smote her at the thought that she had been living within a dozen miles of genteel poverty such as this and had done nothing to brighten these poor people's lives her first attempt was baffled by mrs carpew's abject terror of being discovered in her untidy parlour and her worse than shabby gown the iceland pony's neat little cart and smart groom had been visible to the vicar's wife from the windows of her bedroom where she had been engaged the whole afternoon in a favourite species of occupation which she called a good turnout which involved the emptying of drawers and closets old trunks and old bandboxes and piling up the shabby raiment on the bed a proceeding lengthened by the minutest investigation of said raiment and much discussion with her eldest daughter now old enough to be admitted to the strictly feminine rights of the turnout as to the possible rehabilitation of certain garments which had been put by as hopeless or the conversion of last year's finery to this year's fashion the fashion as known at st jude's which was two years behind london and fifteen months behind edinburgh from an open window mother and daughter saw the penrith pony carriage approaching it's lady penrith cried miss carpew i saw her driving those ponies the last time i was at ardliston to think of her coming to call on us after all these years and we not fit to be seen do be quick ma and wash your face and smooth your hair you look dreadful and so do i glancing at her own heated countenance in the cloudy glass on the littered dressing-table gertrude we can't see her exclaimed mrs carpew it's out of the question the boys are in the drawing-room i looked in just before i came upstairs luke and jack were playing double dummy and joe was washing snapper in a tub by the fire he will wash that dog in the drawing-room run down to sarah and say not at home it seems a pity faltered gertrude lingering on the threshold if we say not at home to-day she may never come again and she may have come to ask us to a party not she what after her being at the castle off and on nearly ten years she's only come to bother about some 
of the poor people i dare say perhaps to complain of something to find fault with your father for not going to see them when they're ill miles and miles on a winter night run gertie this instant cried the vicar's wife almost hysterically as the grinding of the wheels drew near upon the hard chalk road as if he could go out on cold nights with his asthma concluded mrs carpew grumbling to the empty air gertrude rushed downstairs three steps at a time after her manner and reached the kitchen passage just as the groom rang the bell not at home nobody at home she gasped to the maid of all work wipe your face as you go along the passage do for goodness sake it's all over blacks gertie dropped into a chair by the fire as the girl hurried out scrubbing her dirty face with an apron as dirty and burst into tears how horrid it all is she moaned to be obliged to hide from well-dressed people as if one was a murderer i wish i was in one of the colonies where there are no fine ladies no pony carriages nothing to belittle one and make one feel wretched i wish i was dead or married to steve maltby stephen maltby was the son of a small tenant farmer whose comfortable homestead mrs carpew visited condescendingly and whose honourable advances to miss carpew had been flouted by her parents if you want to sink into the class out of which i raised myself by the most strenuous toil you had better marry stephen maltby said the vicar severely gertrude felt in her heart of hearts that she had better marry stephen without any retrospective considerations but she submitted as a dutiful daughter stephen was tall and good-looking but his hair was decidedly sandy and she was not so much in love with him as to defy father and mother for his sake so she told herself that wretched as life was at the vicarage she did not want to lose caste and to sink to the level of a tenant farmer's wife she heard the hall door shut and the slow slipshod feet of sarah returning along the passage the vicarage spread itself over a good deal of ground and the drawing-room where the vicar's sons were playing whist was at some distance from these rooms which the sporting vicar of fifty years before had built on the east side of the house abutting on a walled garden of about an acre this garden with its fir trees and shrubberied walk on one side and its old apple trees rose bushes and asparagus beds on the other had been the pleasure and the pride of the previous vicar and his wife but mrs carpew was too harassed and hard driven by the stress of daily life to take any pride in anything and mr carpew seemed to have lost all interest in life except a feeble concern as to what horse was likely to win any great race a subject he would discuss with his sons or his neighbours with a faint revival of human feeling 
for the rest he was like a man whose spirit had gone out of him years before who only moved about automatically a mindless nerveless body what did she say asked gertie meeting sarah at the kitchen door she seemed regular put out when i told her there wasn't nobody at home she f asked first for the vicar and then for the missus and then if there were any member of the family as she could see and i says no you was every one of you out and then she asked when master and missus was likely to be at home and i says to-morrow afternoon for i thinks i if missus knows beforehand she can read up things a bit yes yes of course that was very sensible of you sarah and then she says she will come to-morrow at about three o'clock so now you know what you've got to do miss gertrude and there mustn't be no washing dogs in the drawing-room no nor yet those horrid cards as if the evening wasn't long enough for whist when they can have me and lillian instead of double dummy lady penrith must have made up her mind to know us mused the vicar's daughter as she ran up to her garret bedroom to take a last look at her ladyship's pony cart perhaps she has heard how hard it is for us to live here without society and means to be our friend she opened her lattice and put her head out into the autumn wind there was no sign of the pony cart not even a cloud of dust in the direction where she had first looked and then sweeping the landscape her eyes descried groom and ponies stationed a little way off in the opposite direction eastward toward the scottish border and behold the pony cart was empty gertie ran to another dormer at the east end of the house which commanded garden and common land beyond and from this lookout she beheld lady penrith standing far off on the steep heather-clad slope which rose outside the garden wall evidently looking at the house and its surroundings gertie watched her for ten minutes or so and saw her walking slowly about the hillside and looking from time to time at the vicarage while gertie fearful of being seen at her post of observation screened herself behind the faded chintz curtain end of chapter twenty